Hey everyone, before we start on this episode, we wanted to let you know that you can watch our Catalog and Cocktails episodes live with us every Wednesday via Zoom. Check the link in our channel bio for more information, and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails where we all hang out and talk about data in an honest, no BS, non-salesy kind of way, data management and tasty beverages in hand. Uh, I'm Tim Gasper, uh, Director of Product over at Data.World and, and joined by my partner in crime, Juan. Hey, good afternoon. Tim, how are you doing? Doing awesome. I'm uh, uh, playing around with some new hardware here. We're trying to see if we can make my voice sound like I'm not being uh, strangled underneath the water. And so uh, we're trying to make all our, our new listeners happy with some better audio. Oh, that's awesome. I've, uh, I, I also have a nice uh, microphone set up here. And it looks like every time we're going to get better and better at this. Uh, it's, it's been pretty cool knowing how we're starting to get more followers, people listening, listening to us on through the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So that's very, very yeah. cool to join us. And also know that we have also uh, our, um, our Slack community. You go to slack.data.world and you can join the channel there, keep the conversations going. Um, and here we are. So cheers. Always uh, great to have this break in the middle of the week and chat about data. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you, uh, what are you drinking today? I've got... Um... Keeping it simple here. I was thinking of making a cocktail, but uh, you know, sometimes it's easier just to go go straight for it. Uh, I'm drinking a little bit of Weller right now. Um, uh, it's not bad. It's a little um, a little alcohol forward. Uh, I find that it tastes good in a Manhattan. If you want to add it to a cocktail, not bad. I'm. What about you? I'm drinking rum, Dictador, and it is a Colombian rum, and it's um, it's a very nice uh, sweet flavor to it. I really really enjoy this. Interesting. Do you sometimes drink rum straight? I've actually never really drank rum straight before. Oh, drum, rum should always be drinking straight. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning something here. I'm, I'm expanding my horizons. Um, if anybody's got some drinks uh, over at home or at work or wherever you uh, are today, uh, first of all, if you're at work and you're drinking, that's very cool. You have a cool place to work. Um, but please post in the chat. We're interested to hear what you're, what you're drinking. Yeah, what are you drinking and where are you from? It'd be great to hear. And, and always remember, you can send your questions on chat. And, and after these 30 minutes, we'll open up the conversation to everyone. So I guess I always like to make the recap of what we've been going on for the last couple of months now, right? So we've been talking yeah. about uh, agile data governance. We've talked about the, the, the 10 principles that we've kind of put out there about data governance. So many conversations about data personas, like your producers, your consumers, Actually, our most popular podcast already has been the data product manager, which has been something, a very big, uh, nice buzzword that's been going around and people are really, really seeing the value of it. I've had a lot of conversations around that. Yeah, um, and we had a great guest for that one too with Claire uh, from, from the Zebra talking about uh, their data product management practice over there. Exactly. And then last week we had this conversation about catalogs versus data lakes and uh, the chicken and egg and how we can... And, and our thoughts about we, you should be able to go do this both at the same time. And I think lately, one of the topics that we see a lot, just con side conversations, conversations with our, our prospects, with our customers and, and with other colleagues is this notion about data quality. It's truly something that comes up all the time. And uh, there's just so much 
to unravel here. Let's go chat a little bit about data quality. What's your experience with data quality, Tim? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I feel like data quality is one of those things that, um, so I've never worked at a really big company that has been doing data quality at um, sort of really large scale or with a really large data or IT team. Um, obviously, I've, I've interacted with a lot of teams that have um, uh, been doing it and uh, and either, you know, been providing them consulting or providing them enterprise software in that context. But I feel like especially for a lot of the places I've worked, data quality has just been uh, a fact of life, right? We're trying to get to certain insights. We're trying to achieve uh, certain reports and analytical use cases. And, uh, and there's the obstacles you face along the way. And a lot of times those obstacles have to do with challenges around data quality. And, and I'll, I'll give one, one sort of horror story that, that I've kind of experienced. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that others probably have some similar experiences is that, um, at one of my previous roles, we were trying to roll out uh, a pretty major new set of actually customer facing dashboards and BI and things like that. Right. Uh, they wanted to understand how their product was being used. They wanted to understand they were storing customer data in our product. So they wanted to sort of create clusters and segments around customers and things like that. Um, and so we had a lot of data that we already had available internally that we're using for our internal metrics. And, uh, it, we all, we all thought it was as simple as, Hey, let's just expose this to, uh, customers let's just make some views that are customer facing right and then we'll be done right this will be the easiest one month product we ever went to market with uh i worked on that project for over 12 months uh and one of the primary things is that as we started to get some reports in the in the hands of customers they started to figure out uh for us which is never a great thing uh what was wrong with our data and they're like well why does that number not match that number we're like, huh, well, that's kind of innocuous. That's probably not too bad of a problem. But we started to look into it. And it's because, oh, those two numbers were being taken from two different databases with two different sort of ETL pipelines to get to those numbers. And we were showing them both on the same dashboard. Oops, that's probably not a good idea, right? Um, and as we start to dig in, we started to uncover that for all these metrics, we probably had about 100 metrics that we were exposing. Uh, there were all sorts of different inconsistencies in the time frame that they came from, uh, where they were coming from, uh, the context by which that number makes sense. And sometimes things as simple as, you know, a where clause here versus a, a filter here versus, a, you know, seemingly very small differences can result in different business logic around those different things. And so uh, that's that's been that was one one example for me where we uh, we, we learned sort of the hard way that. Uh, our, our lack of focus on data quality resulted in us having to troubleshoot um, and take the long path on, on getting data to a better place. Yeah, I, I have so many interesting issues of working with, other, with customers. The ones that I love are the ones where you have null values. Now, this is something fascinating because I, I, when I put my academic hat on, the, the database community, the database theory community have been researching the, the val how do you treat nulls in, in theory and practice? And uh, it's really interesting to see what really happens in practice. I mean, once for me, my favorite example was uh, we were building this very large, we were building a large uh, knowledge graph, an e-commerce knowledge graph for one of our customers. And so we're defining, right, all the concepts. So an, an or a customer places an order, an order has a shipping address, an order can only have one shipping address and stuff like that. And 
where people are navigating the data and querying the data and they and, and, and there's a mistake. There's like, there's missing data. Like, what do you mean there's missing data? And then we, we go through this well-governed process. And when we start looking into and look at the queries that we're doing, we realize that the missing data is just a handful of orders are missing shipping data. Like they don't know where the order was shipped. And like, how is this possible? Well, when we start looking into this, we, we, we look at the database schema and every there's there's nothing that is violating the constraints of the database. But when we look at the table, it's actually the key, the foreign key, it was nullable. And then when we look into and just do a quick aggregation and count the nulls, we're like, wow, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a significant chunk of orders here that have null values and their shipping address ID. And we're like, how is that even possible? So I literally, <laughs> whatever, and I, 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 I con got contacted with the customer service folks. And I said, can you do me a favor? Look up this order number and see where it was shipped. And I swear to you, this was true. The customer service says, oh, there's an error. It says null pointer exception on my screen. Uh, so definitely there is all these issues about roles and, and they don't even know. And I'm like, wait, there's money assigned to this. This, this order was from last year. The, the money was received. This was shipped somewhere. Nobody knows where it was shipped. Um, and I just find that fascinating when this type of stuff happens. And at the end, right, you can go clean up the data and things, but, uh, at some point, you know, that there's a bug and it's not probably the bug is not in the database. It's the bug in the application that's writing to the database. So at the end, you realize that these data quality issues is, is not truly just the data itself. It's like there's data comes in, there's data comes out and, and context is key here, key here. So I think that's one of the most important issues that I one of the, that was something I really learned that where we understand the context and where that stuff is coming back coming from. So I think that's one of the, the, the interesting things. And uh, I, I found that super fascinating to have a customer service on the null pointer exception because it was in the <laughs> database you don't know. Or you don't know if a null, a null is, it means yes, it means no, it means I don't know, it means one, it means zero. I mean, I've seen times where they say null means zero, but what do you mean? There's already zeros in the column. Well, it just, it is, it is what it is. Or, or a null is a conditional. If it's null here, then you have to go look up this other column. And if it's null there, you have to go look up this other column. There's just so much weird logic. In, in, yeah. This is quality of data, right? Yeah. Well, and nulls is a very interesting one. Uh, I actually remember a situation uh, at, a, at a previous company I worked at where um, uh, we uh, had to do some conditional logic for, for some analytics. And uh, we assumed that everything was true and false, right? It was a Boolean, right? Um, and, uh, and so we were going on many months assuming that our metrics were in good shape, but every once in a while something would come up where we're like, why do the count of records not equal what we were expecting and that kind of thing, right? And we found out that actually sometimes instead of a true and a false, there was a null in, in that column, you know, maybe 1% was nulls, right? And, and the nulls were false. So they, they were the same as false and we needed yeah. to rewrite them to be false. But, you know, sometimes that kind of stuff, like it's, uh, it's so quiet, right? It's like it's like when you're typing and autocorrect corrects it to another correct word, and you know it's like uh, how do you even know what's wrong unless you're looking at it from sort of the business context standpoint? Right? And then I mean, and it's not that you get an error, right? So and then sometimes if if you're not dealing with it, the the, the differences in your results of your query may be minimal, may be negligible, you may not even notice. Uh, but maybe that null was something important that was missing. I mean, if, if, if I'm adding things up and the null was supposed to mean one, that's one difference. But if the null is supposed to mean a hundred, a thousand, that's a big difference, right? But how do we know? So, so I think th this is one of the stuff that I find always fascinating. And, and actually I have, 
I'm working one of the research collaborations we have uh, with the University of Edinburgh and, 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 and University of Paris is, with, uh, is on understanding null values in the real world and stuff. I find this fascinating about it. But I think something we should, we talk about, we're talking about nulls here about quality, but what is data quality? And I, some people have actually added some things and, and, and but I'm, what, do you, what do you call data quality? Tim, how do you define it? That's a that's an awesome question. Um, you know, I, I always try to talk about data quality in in like very simple terms because I think you can start to nerd out about data quality. You can go in a business direction. You can go in a in a technical direction. I tend to focus on like two key attributes. Uh, one is the trustworthiness of data, uh, and then the other is the usability of data. And I think that when you look at those two things, that creates uh, an interesting set of follow-up questions and, and brings up some interesting thoughts in terms of the right culture or the right business process, you know, and I think we'll probably talk about some of those things uh, before we before we wrap up today. Um, but it makes you think about first the trust context, like how do I know that this is good data, the right data, timely data, um, you know, uh, where the lineage is clear, understandable data, right? Um, but then there's an aspect of data quality which doesn't fully get encompassed by trust. You have to add the usability aspect. Can I can I actually leverage the data for my use case? Um, is it uh, you know described in a way that I can uh, put to work quickly? Is it accessible? Uh, sort of so on and so forth. So th those those are the two things that I, I tend to gravitate towards, and then I kind of think of all the things that kind of radiate out out from that. What, what do you think, Juan? Well, so definitely, so I agree with that, the trustworthiness and, and usability. Um, the other aspect I think is, when we've mentioned this already, is context. And I think a lot of that really depends on who's consuming it, right? For what reason? And even the same user, depending on the different use cases that they are working on, they can see it differently. And, and it also comes around as like, well, if we make a list of all the things that we need to go consider uh, about data quality. Like we can come up with all these different metrics that we need to go do. For things like, well, if this column is supposed to be an integer, well, there better be numbers in here, not floats, right? Or, or, or the, the dates are well formatted and things like, yeah, those are kind of, it's called structural data quality aspects that we need to consider. But it's not just that, it's not just the quantitative aspects of how, do we, how does the, the, the form of the data look like? It's or do we do we even have, for example, the semantics right? I mean, the, the, so when we talk about revenue, or the example I always bring up, we talk about the net sales of an order. Having that correct definition, that's quality too. I can provide the net sales of an order is supposed to be a float, and it's decimals. It's supposed to have a currency and has to have point uh, zero zero, right? Just two numbers at the end. But if we don't even know that I'm returning the right data, consistent data, I think that's also big, big, big parts of that. So I think there's like the structural part, this, let's call it the syntactic part of data, but there's also making sure that the semantics, the true meaning of the data is right and we can go trust about it. And I think it's also being, being able to provide the consumer the data can figure things out on their own. So, so if I look at a piece of data, I can, I can, I can self-service what this data is supposed to be. I can, I can say, I can trust this data or not, or, or I sufficiently trust this data, or if I'm not clear if I trust this data, I know who I can go talk to and, 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 get, and, and, not, and kind of figure that out. I think that's also part of the data quality. So it's not just a, 
a very clean one and zero type of approach. There's a lot of spectrum in here and there's human involvement always. Or, and and, and I, we always see that there's all these tools and techniques that people want to be able to add and automation to be able to go clean our data. But it's much more than just eliminating white spaces, uh, organizing the format of time, uh, of date and time. It's much more than that. That's just scratching the surface. Yeah, no, totally agreed. And I think that there's there's a huge use case driven aspect to, to data quality where I think if you do try to take a one size fits all approach, it, it often doesn't work too well, right? And you need to combine that with thinking about you know, what are the right expectations and kind of thinking about, you know, when you, there's sort of like these, the big six, you know, uh, quality uh, dimensions out there that are like completeness and accuracy and validation. And, and there's a couple others, um, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to measure around those different things. Uh, but depending on what one you're looking at, like, for example, things like uh, accuracy and timeliness and completeness, there's a huge use case and business case element to it. Uh, that you have to apply for it to make sense. Um, I mean, one thing that I think is interesting, uh, you know, Dean is making an awesome comment here in the comments about, um, you know, some of the things that are sort of obvious things. Um, I think that there are a lot of validations, uh, and I would agree that um, it, it would be nice if we always did, right? It'd be nice if there was sort of a table stakes of validation, in addition to a lot of the use case driven stuff that um, that could help with data quality. and and. You know, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, what some folks think are some of the best practices there. I know that um, one thing that we've liked over at Data.World is using uh, a tool called uh, DBT. It's a uh, database tools. Uh, and one of the nice things about DBT is because you're defining all these transformations and your data pipeline essentially as SQL code, uh, everything is defined as, as, as code. Um, you can also do these tests. And actually, a lot of tests are built into the framework where you can do things like look at primary key relationships and things like that and, and do some of these types of obvious checks, you know, ahead of time. Uh, but then layer in business checks too, right? So the business context piece still has to come into play. So I think that, that that's key, right? We can have mm -hmm. these uh, structural aspects or these call it syntactic aspects I was talking about are about, yes, is this the, the forward key, primary key, does this, does this validate uh, the, the constraints and everything that I have? But then you have more of the, the semantic side is connected to the business, right? An order can only have one shipping address. It has to have exactly one shipping address and no more, right? These types of things that you could say, maybe the data where it's coming from is for some reason doesn't have these foreign key constraints or whatever. So there's no constraints that's being violated, but from a business perspective, there is, and we want to be able to go track that. These is also has to go deal with data quality, even though the numbers or whatever are all correct. But see, the other aspect I see a lot is in, in, when you start talking to more technical folks, they're focusing more on this syntactic side. Uh, and, and I think we forget the big picture. And I ask always, what does success look like? So how do we define um, success when we're doing it, when we were doing data quality? How do I, I mean, is, is it just one stop, like I'm successful and I'm done? Or how do we keep doing this like iterative? What, what do you think? I got my thoughts, but I want to throw it to you first. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, two things that I'll, I'll comment, and then I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts, Juan. Uh, one is, um, I think you do have to have some idea of, uh, of sort of use cases and a use case backlog. And I think this ties a lot into the agile data governance approach that we've been talking about. 
and really prioritizing the work that's going to be done with the data. Um, and, and that kind of takes you to the second point, which is that I think you have to start prioritizing your data sources a little bit, because I do think it's hard to look at all data and try to address data quality in, a, in, a, in an omnibus kind of fashion. And I think that if you can use those use cases as your guide and kind of take that and then drive it towards your data quality priorities, that's going to help a lot. Um, because that starts to put things in context in terms of like, you know, what, what's going to be most valuable here and where is there the most potential for issues, right? Is the issue more around timeliness? Is it more around the completeness of the data? And it kind of aims you in the right direction. Um, but th those are some of my, my first thoughts on that. Kind of, kind of curious as to, to what you're thinking, Juan. Well, so one thing, I think I, I'm going to probably get a tattoo on this, which is uh, don't boil the ocean. Remember, don't boil the ocean. And this is something that it's just so frustrating. I, I, I mean, I was like, when people come in and say, can you go catalog all my data? I need to, I got, I got a uh, hundred thousand columns to go catalog a thousand. I mean, okay, what are you going to do with this? If I go catalog all that, that's one. And then they're going to say, well, can you please tell me the quality of all of my data? It's like, so what? You want to go literally boil the ocean, get that? And, and let's imagine I have a magic wand and I'm going to go catalog and go tell you that the quality is from zero to 100. I'm going to score it for you already at 100%. What are you going to go do with that? You get that for 100,000 columns. So what? I think this is the first thing that we should not be thinking about. And it's frustrating that when you have when you're having conversations with, with, with in organizations and you're talking to technical folks, that's what they see what success looks like. And I, I think that's completely wrong. That's not the path to go forward. We really need, I, so I completely agree with you. Again, it's always, what is the use case? What's the business use case? Like we're doing this work to be able to provide value. What value and to whom? Um, but also the big part there of success is it's culture. And it's, you really wanna have a culture within your organization that values, not but values data, but values who's actually responsible for the data. And this goes back to the topics that we've talked that we've had before about the data product manager and the knowledge scientists, which we like, that's what I'm pushing at least that should be the response the person, people who are responsible for the data. Data quality is that too. And, and I want people to demand response, to demand responsibility for the data, who demand quality of data. And I want to make sure that I'm providing quality data and I'm working towards that quality. And we understand that this is, it's a team sport. I mean, this is not just one, two people doing it. It's everybody within the organization going through that culture. So I think enabling or, or moving towards that culture is key to be able to have a successful kind of data, data quality uh, um, projects to call it that way. Yeah, but, no, I, I think that's huge. And I think that, um, you know, you should be asking yourself some questions about your organization or, or the groups that you're working with, you know, who, who is accountable for data, right? Uh, do we have a culture of responsibility and accountability for data? Do we have executive representation around quality of data, right? Does the chief data officer care about quality? Is it part of their mission? Do the leaders of the company care about quality, right? Because I think a lot of these things go into overall how people approach issues of quality. And are they truly thinking of data as sort of a, an asset, right? Or is data more of an afterthought, right? So yeah, culture culture is huge, and it's not easy to change, right? Uh, you know, we we see companies all the time trying to tackle data literacy initiatives and things like that. It's uh, it requires a very concerted effort. So, 
in addition to like the people and the processes, there's still tools and techniques and features that you want. And, and a couple of the things that I've thought that, that it's not like a data quality tool, your toolkit that will do data quality. Um, for example, we've talked about this before, like data lineage. Data lineage is really key to be able to understand, okay, something's going on here. Why is this going on? Let's go understand it. I think lineage is one of those key things. Um, a lot of things we also see, for example, is uh, people want to go profile, right? The typical, let me go ingest my data or, or connect to my data and see what's going on about it and, and give some sort of those metrics, which I'm, I don't want the people to perceive that I'm against those metrics. No, we definitely do need those metrics, but it's not the only thing. Um, what, what, else are you, what else is on your mind about kind of technical features that, are, that need to be part of the data quality toolkit? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of them is, is sort of obvious, but I'll state it anyway. It's a, it's a centralized repository for metadata, right? It's do yeah. we have a place where we are taking the business context, the technical information? Uh, you know, usually organizations we see are using various different tools to get a get a picture of, of quality and you want to bring all that information together in one place right so you get the context in a single sort of view so that's one thing uh, obviously right um, another one that I'll put out there is uh, is sort of this uh, rules or data quality inspections right and and you'll see that in terms of things like you know sensitive data identification right where are there you know PII. potential pii and you know emails and social security numbers etc credit cards right um uh, and but also things like you know should a value be over a certain amount should it be below a certain amount um you know is there a certain smoke test like certain query you should be running on a regular basis to make sure that you're getting expected results you want to have um, a scorecard right so you want to have a set of these rules like these business rules that will define the quality of the data and say, hey, every day, green light, yellow light, how's it going? And, and on what parts are, are, what rules are failing? Then you can go exactly, see Exactly, exactly. Being careful not to boil the ocean, obviously, but, but, you know, there are ways to do that in a way that is targeted and not one size fits all, right? There should not just be a single testing framework that applies to all your data. It is really contextual to the columns that you're looking at, to the data sets that you're looking at. But so I wanted to say is that what oh, just was a reminder of, of talking about emails here was I remember once a, point, a customers who they, the way they were defining if a customer was out of, uh, they had opted out is that if they would update the email and they would put bad email underscore and then the rest of the email. So that's what <laughs> all they did. So then the funny thing is that somebody else was going off and sending out emails, like just they, I mean, sending marketing emails and they were getting a bunch of bounced emails. And what was so funny is that every email that they sent out cost, I don't know how many pennies or whatever. And suddenly they're getting all this, they're paying for all this money that for these emails that are being bounced. And they realized, oh yeah, it's like we have, I don't know, 20% of our emails have bad email underscore. And that was, that's, it was a correct email, right? It was still, <laughs> a string at another string dot whatever, but this was an example that you just printed up email for there. But, um, but going back to the features, I think one, you also want to have features in the data quality features uh, in like metadata management systems, but you also want to have the processes associated to them. So you want to be able to have good review cycles. I think this is something that we're talked about before that we want to bring in from, um, from software engineering. Let's do peer review, for example. We're generating data, we're, we're, we're defining how we're cleaning the data, we're defining these, these rules, but is this, are, is this the right way? Like somebody did that work, let's go peer review to make sure that that is the right way of being able to go uh, um, and, 
that we define the good data quality measurements for that. So I think like peer review to understand what is that process is very key also. And that's a process combined with the tools. Yep. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent on the same page there. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, th this is interesting. We've covered a lot of ground here. I think that there's a lot, uh, a lot to unpack when it comes to data quality and think about how, how to do it in a way that doesn't boil the ocean and really prioritizes the, the most important use cases first. Um, where, where, where do you think the key takeaways are, Juan? What's your, uh, um, I always appreciate that you have a tendency to really see through the noise <laughs> and you get straight to the signal. So what's the signal well, on, on this, well, this data quality noise that we have going on here? Well, as always, right, 30 minutes flies by. So just to wrap up, takeaway, I think this is a takeaway for every single episode. I'll bring it up, boiling the ocean, right? We have to avoid boiling the ocean. There's this, always going to be this temptation to, to manage data quality through a bunch of quantitative metrics, which, was, which is going to lead us to, lead us to boiling the ocean. We should be careful with that temptation. We need to manage quantitative metrics, but that's not the whole thing. We really need to focus on use cases, and those use cases are going to be focused on the highest value use cases will help us focus on which are the mo most important data sets. So don't boil the ocean by focusing on quantitative metrics. Make sure you understand what are your high value use cases. Um, and then even though we, there are needs for technical features, right, data profiling, lineage, inspection, that isn't by itself. It needs to be associated with some sort of processes like agile, agile data governance. Uh, oh, and finally, culture. We need to really embrace data responsibility. And it's not just tech, it's a team sport. Yep, I 100% agree. Uh, I think this has been a, a great little chat. I'm, I'm, uh, I appreciate always Juan being able to do that. And uh, you know, I think for those that are listening, uh, please hang out after, and and we'll do a little roundtable here as we usually do. Um, and check out um, our blog post. We just dropped a blog post on blog.data.world about data quality, talking about some of these topics here, but also talking about some additional ones. Uh, check that out and, and definitely let us know what you think. We're interested to hear uh, what your thoughts are. And, um, and Juan, do you want to quickly, before we end things, uh, go ahead, yeah. One reminder is next week, I'm really excited. Next week, we have a special episode. We'll be joined by Dean Alamang, uh, Fabian Gandon, and James Hemper. They're the authors of the book, Semantic Web for the Working Ontologist, which is a book coming out in its third edition. Uh, we're going to be discussing the past, the present, the future of Semantic Web, and how that's impacting enterprise data management today. So, so I'm really excited for that next episode. Yeah, it'll be really cool. So yeah, looking forward to all seeing you tomorrow. And bring some friends, because that's going to be a really great discussion. Thanks, Tim.